Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast with Dr. David O. Ogaga. We continue with um, the two witnesses of the book of Revelation chapter 11. And so let's start reading that again, the two witnesses. Uh, Revelation 11 and verse number 3. Put it on the board. Let's see. From three down to, to five. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. Mm-hmm. Next verse says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. I would like us to. Next verse. Let's look at next verse. And if any man will hold them, fire proceed out of their mouths and devour their enemies. And if any man will hold them, they must in this manner be killed. Okay? All right. Uh, we're just going to stop there. We'll look at a few things. Maybe next week we can sort of touch a few other things. But like I started with, this is not surely going to be physical human beings. And like I said before, um, when you go study commentaries and write talks about these two witnesses, the common thing you're going to see is Elijah and Moses. Because the description is given when you go down. Go down a little bit, verse number 6. And it says, This is a power to shut heaven that it rain not in days of their prophecy, and a power over waters to turn them to blood. And to smite the earth with Blake as often as the will. Now you find that this is describing the power that was coming forth from Elijah when he shot the heaven and there was no rain. In the context of Mount Camel. Remember that? Okay. Then turn water to blood is Moses turning the river Nile into blood when he was bringing the people out of captivity. So because of these two descriptions, people often think that this must be Moses and Elijah. And that by implication, you're talking about, because you see, when you read down, it said they died, and after that, they resurrected. Is that okay? All right. But then if you go by that to think that these are actually talking about these people, then except you, you want to be looking at it because Moses is dead. And so when you say died and resurrected, there was no resurrection like Jesus for Moses. So that doesn't answer the question or give an answer to it. Anyway, we're not dealing with all of that tonight, but I want us to look at a few things here. For me, these two people described here actually represent the churches fulfilling the business of being a witness to Christ in the final time of what we call tribulation or what the season may be. I'm going to make you see this. Go back a bit. Let me show you something. Go to verse number four. Verse four. We're going to deal with that. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks. Now, how many of you remember in Revelation chapter two? Fine. What does candlestick represent? Churches. <laughs> are you getting that? Candlestick represent churches. So that's what you must understand. Okay? All right. And uh, I'm even going to read something about the olive tree. But before then, um, 
what I'm going to be establishing here is these things are actually not physical people. They are symbolic of God's power within his church. Right? And witnessing, and as we're going to go on again, I'll make you see that prophesying is not kind of foretelling the future. Prophesying in context actually means teaching. We need to understand that. It actually means teaching. Praise the Lord. Are you there? Okay. So we're going to look at this and then see. Now verse 4. He said, these are the two olive trees and so on and so forth. Like we have just read. Now, let's go back to the Old Testament and pick up um, similarity. Or what I would say, as if this author is speaking from the book of Zechariah. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 4. I want to also read from verse 1. And the Bible says, And the angel that talked with me came again and, and wicked me as a man that is waking out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps. How many of you remember lampstand? Candlestick, lampstand, okay? Jerome, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top, Jerome. Is that Okay. The candlesticks, remember, talking about the candlestick, talking about the lamps. And Jesus described the pastors there for us. Is that okay? All right. Verse 3. And the two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bow and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou then what this be? And I said, Not, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the will of the Lord unto who? Zerubbabel, saying, Not by mind, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, there was a supply from the bowl to the candlestick to continue to burn. The supply is speaking about the spirit. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? The Spirit is speaking. Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. Now, if I give you a background of this, we're talking about Zerubbabel building the temple and the wall. Is that all right? So, great grace saying, when he talks about the capstone or the headstone, he said the foundation stone for the temple must be laid by Zerubbabel. They will not be able to stop him from laying the foundation and building the temple. That's what he's talking about. That's what the headstone stands for. Is that all right? Headstone or cornerstone. Okay. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. Can you get it now? His hands shall also do what? Finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. That's why he's saying it's not by mind, not by power. In other words, say, remember, you're going to do it. I'm asking you to do it. I'm going to supply the grace to be able to finish the work. Are you following? All right. Verse 10. For who hath despised the dead of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven 
They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro from the whole earth. Then answered and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlesticks and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two olive two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what this be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said he, then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So who are the two anointed ones? They are Zerubbabel and Joshua. And they are the two olive trees. Are you getting that now? <clears throat> Joshua was more or less the high priest and Zerubbabel was the governor. So we're talking about the civil and the spiritual. They were all working together to establish or to build the temple. So I'm showing you this so that you can understand something. It takes two to build the temple of God, as it were, as I'm going to make you see. So they are the anointed, appointed by the Lord and stand by him. They want to minister in the spiritual dimension from the church perspective and the order in the civil state, which is Joshua and Zerubbabel. Is that okay? So... Uh, when we talk about olive trees with their oil and limestone with their light we know that symbolically we're talking about the spirit of God like we find even in Revelation is that okay? right talking about the spirit of God and John already have used limestone like we said before as a symbol or a metaphor for the seven churches like we find in Asia when he was writing to the seven churches. So we know what land stands, stands for, stands for the churches. Amen? So if we look at that, we find out the two witnesses, therefore, should be understood as the vehicle with which the Holy Spirit, representing himself, was going to bring forth the word, as it were, the prophetic word, which is the Christian community. Or, if I may say, the church in the prophetic world. What the church will be able to bring forth. I'm going to make you see this. Now, like I said before, we cannot say the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Is that okay? In the physical dimension. But we must see what they represent which is what we found in the Mount of Transfiguration. Now you go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 from verse 1. The Bible says, After six days, Jesus taken Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Is that okay? One thing I want you to first, first of all pick is this. The Jewish people, they've always been expecting, in fact, they believe the ministry of these two men. 
to be the greatest people that really walked in Israel. Is that okay? And you know, they were even expecting Elijah to come, to come kind of comfort, if you look at it from Malachi chapter 4, when it talks about, you remember that? Good. If Elijah doesn't show up to turn the heart of the fathers to the son, he turns to the fathers, the God will smile the earth. Remember that? Okay. Praise the Lord. All right. So here we find that Elijah and um, Moses appeared unto Jesus. And the Bible says, talking with him. I've explained this before, if you can remember. What were they talking about? Okay? They were simply discussing about his death. Is that okay? This is at the time I think we was going to Jerusalem to be crucified. Now, it's like fear was already gripping him. Now, Elijah and Moses have to appear to kind of encourage him to go. And I'm going to prove that one more time. Reason is because this is just what they were saying. Hey, fellow, listen. Jesus, you've got to go to the cross. You know why? The prophets. Okay? Elijah, we said, we prophesy about you. Now, you're going to be born. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You will die resurrected. We spoke about you. And then the law, Moses will come and say, hey, listen, you got to go. We who are kind of wrote about you in the law, we spoke about how you are going to die. We wrote about how you are going to die. Now the point is, if you don't go, all our testimonies has fallen to the ground. Are you, getting, are you there with me? So we're kind of encouraging him to go to the cross. Now, let me show you something now. Um, who they represent? Moses and Elijah. Who do they represent in the Bible? Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Being witnessed, I want you to look at that, by the law and the prophets. Who is the righteousness of God? Christ. Christ is the righteousness of God. Now, the scripture here is saying, the righteousness of God is being witnessed by the law and the prophet. So, who are the law and the prophet? Moses and Elijah. Can you get it? Good. So, the witness, you see, I don't know, but let's just progress. Well, you pick it. Witnessing is not, and prophesying is not in the way we have always used those words. Amen? Primarily, a witness is a person that can speak truth based on what he or she has seen. That's a witness. Is that okay? Right. Okay. Uh, so now, we have the law and the prophet, which is Moses and Elijah. Are we, are we together? And the Bible said they are witnessing the righteousness of God, which is Jesus. So we have the three people there. Righteousness of God, Jesus, the law, and the prophet, Mount of Transfiguration. Is it simple? All right. Now, 
going by the scripture again, Hebrews chapter 3, you find that Moses, though, represents the law, he is also an apostle. Are you there? I'm going to show you something now. Hebrews 3 verse 1. Hebrews 3 verse 1. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now you must understand that every house is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So now, if that is the case, if Moses was faithful in God's house, it means he carried an apostolic grace. Just like Jesus. Because you find there are two houses in consideration here. The house in the wilderness, which is the church in the wilderness, and the present church. And each of these churches is headed by one man. And each one must be headed by an apostle. If the present church is headed by an apostle, then the Old Testament church was also headed by what? An apostle. So, though Moses be a, a, a lawgiver, he was also what? An apostle. Are you following me? Alright. So, here we go, verse number two. The Bible says, was faithful to him that appointed him, even as Moses was faithful in all his house. Uh, verse 3, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, talking about Jesus now, insomuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he that built all things is God. And Moses, verse 5, verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony, of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. Are you there with me? Ephesians 2, verse number 20. What is he saying? And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? The chief cornerstone. What it means to say is, the church of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So there is no way the first church, in quote, will have been built without having an apostle. Are you getting any sense now? So now we find that Moses, though, like I said before, is or was a lawgiver, he operated an apostolic grace in building the church because God doesn't truly build his church on laws, he built it on apostle and prophet. Okay, one more scripture on that mighty 23, verse 34. Twenty-three, verse thirty-four. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men, and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall do what? Scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. 
that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel upon the blood of Zacharias, son of Barakias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. And the verse 36 says, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. So he said, I send unto you prophet and wise men. Who are wise men? Wise men are apostles. Okay, I'll show you that again. First Corinthians 3, verse 10. First Corinthians 3, verse 10. Remember, we're trying to find out who these two witnesses are. First Corinthians 3, verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God which is given unto me, as what? A wise master builder. I have laid a foundation and another builder thereon, but let every man take it how he built thereon. Wise master builder. Apostles are wise master builders. So I'm saying again, there is no way you can build a church in the wilderness without an apostle. The architectural design it's always handed over to the apostles. So the revelation that Moses got to build the temple was under the apostolic grace, not under a lawgiver. Can you get that? Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, um, okay, let's look at Luke chapter 11. The same thing that Matthew wrote in Matthew 23. Let's look at the account, the parallel reading in Luke chapter 11, verse 49. Praise the Lord. Are you there? Okay. Therefore also said the wisdom of God. Look at that. I will send them what? Prophet and... Are you there with me? I will send them prophets and apostles. Praise the Lord. Did you get it? Right. And this is the same thing that Matthew wrote in Matthew 23, 34. Praise the Lord. So we know when you talk about wise men, we're talking about apostles. So for the church to be established, we have the wise men, which are the apostles, and the prophets. Is that okay? So, the two people that witnessed the Jesus, as it were, the law and the prophet, eventually is coming to be revealed as the apostles and the prophets. Because they were the people, they are the people that can truly build the church. Praise the Lord. All right, so now, back to Revelation 11. So what I'm trying to establish is the two witnesses have to do with the ministry of the apostle and the prophets. That's all. Amen? Just like you have Joshua and Zerubbabel to be in our temple. Praise the Lord. Even so, in the New Testament, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
So the two white, I mean, the two witnesses we're looking for, or we're looking at here, has to do with the office of the apostle and that of the prophet. Not literal Moses and Elijah. All right. Um, let's look at this. As I go back to Revelation 11, um, again, let's look at verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. This is very important. Originally, if you, if you as I try to study, I find that the word I will give power the word power is not there in the original Greek translation. The word power is not there. It simply reads, I will give. Which means, I will grant to my two witnesses the right or the power of prophesying during the time so specified. I will give them the opportunity to prophesy. Power is actually missing in the original translation. Amen? All right, so I will give. That's what it means. So the meaning actually is that I will send two witnesses to prophesy. But rather that they were in fact witnesses and that they might find out you are speaking of the truth. And in other words, let me put it this way. We come into the point or a time of persecution, a time of apostasy, a time where people can't stand for truth. But now it's like saying, God is saying, I'm going to send the true ministries that it were that will cause truth to prevail again on the face of the earth. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Good. I'm going to release the grace of the apostle and prophet to stand against the apostasy and the corruption. Remember, Zerubbabel have to stand against the God of the earth. And often and again, when you talk about the God of the earth, you're looking at the issue of like the Antichrist system. And you understand that? So we're talking about whatever opposes the church of God, the power of God. Now you go back to what God says. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail. Now, why will get of not prevail? Because truth will continue to prevail on the face of the earth when God releases the apostles and the prophets. Okay, let me show you one of those things. Ephesians. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Let's look at something. Um, just verse 5. Okay, go back a little bit to verse 4. It says, Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Next verse. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The same thing you find in Zechariah 4. The supply of the Spirit gives them understanding about the mystery of who? Of Christ. Which all that does it know? 
So God is saying, at the time of apostasy, at a time when men will not want to stand for truth, at a time they are falling away from truth, I will release my prophetic spirit, I will release my apostolic spirit because it takes the two spirits to build the church. In other words, I'm allowing them to go to contend against the false city that is in the church system. Are you getting that? So, if you begin to read that and say, at the point they died and arose again, I can make you understand how to do with the early church coming into power and then the persecution that goes into the church. Remember, the church went into a period of decay. Hallelujah. When I use the word decay, I mean when men were no longer standing for truth, the apostles were persecuted, and it's like saying their voice was short. But they have to be a coming out again of the same apostolic grace. So I see a situation where truth comes up and it dies out. And it comes up again and it dies out. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? It's like what the Bible talks about, Satan is bound and is loose. Satan is bound and is loose, Revelation 20. How is Satan bound? Satan is bound by truth. When truth begins to prevail, because Satan walks by deception. How many of you understand that? Satan can only succeed when he deceives people. But when truth comes, then Satan is bound. And again, when the people that carry truth are out of the way, Satan is loose again. Mid-deception continues because truth is falling. But again, I see a situation where despite the fact that truth may fall for a season, God will raise again the voice of the apostles and prophets who have the mystery of Christ to gain stand against the God of the world. Praise the Lord. Are you following it? So this is precisely what is going on right here. So we're dealing with the issue of two witnesses and um, they are meant to really bring forth the mind of God, the truth of God on the face of the earth. That's the point. So whenever truth falls, God raises the apostles or the prophets. Somebody once came to me and was saying, on a Tuesday, counseling, and he was asking me a question a few months ago. And he said, how do you come about all these things you are saying? Because we can find this in the church. I said, it is a grace. God is always going to have a witness for himself in every generation. Do you understand that? That's what he says. He said, God will not, and in every generation, leave himself without what? A witness. He will always reveal himself through somebody. No matter how much corruption has gone on in the church, God will only raise someone to speak for truth. It may not be popular. Praise the living God. All right. So here again, I want us to look at something which is very important. Can you go to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6? Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. In other words, God will always establish his truth with double witness. So when he says, he's sending for the two witnesses, you have to understand. He wanted two to be what? Established. No contradiction. <laughs> John 5, let's take one scripture from the New Testament on that. 
But you can read Matthew 18, 16. If you want to write down about the double witness, you can compare Numbers 35, verse 30. Matthew 18, verse 16. But I would like us to read John 5, verse 30 to 33. John 5, 30, 33. Praise the Lord. I can on myself, of my own self, do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Right? Next verse. If I bear witness on myself, my witness is not true. Next verse. There is another that I bear witness of me, and I know that the witness which bear witness of me is what? Is true. Verse 33. He sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. So, here Jesus is trying to establish a fact. I can't just bear witness on myself alone. By implication, it's alluding to the law of double witness. I bear witness on myself. John bear witness on myself. The Father is also bearing witness on me. Are, are you there? Good. And if, for instance, John and God bear witness of Jesus, it means Jesus is actually the truth. Because his life fulfilled the law of double witness. Remember, in Deuteronomy 17, he said no man can be put to death except there is a double witness. Are you sitting there with me? So once two persons come to establish a confession or to testify over an individual's situation, then the man is qualified to die because he got the law of double witness. So now, if truth is to be established, you need double witness. So Jesus is saying, I do not only bear witness to myself. The Father is better witness. John the Baptist bear witness. So have the law of double witness established in the Father. I am the truth. Hallelujah. Are you following it? I want you to understand this. So, again I'm trying to say for truth to prevail, there has to be the law of what? Double witness. And so, Revelation 11, we have the two witnesses to establish the truth of God's word that can stand against prevailing apostasy on the face of the earth. And again, the word witness is actually the word matter, which has to do with somebody who is as it were, he has to die for a testimony that is given in the Jesus sense. That's what a matter really stands for. Amen? Okay, but I want to look at the word prophesy in a very short form as well. Prophesy, like I said before. Back to Revelation 11. And then I will give power to my two witness, and they shall do what? Prophesy. Very good. This is not indicating in any way that they are going to predict future events. That is not what the word means. Hallelujah. It simply means they want to give evidence to the truth as God has revealed it. Um, look, just, just, just go a little bit with me. Go to Revelation 10. In the last verse, let me see. I think I need to pick up something there. 
10 and the last verse. Good. And he said unto me, look at this. Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. 10, 10. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, in my belly it was what? Bitter. You know what he's saying? And after I have eaten that, look at the next thing. Verse 11. He said, and he said unto me, you must prophesy. You have eaten the book. Now you must prophesy. Is that okay? All right. Again, that's prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You know what he's saying there? I've given you this little book. Little books means the revelation. Is that okay? You've gotten this revelation. Now you are going to go to speak to tongues, to nations, to people, and to kings. Go and bear witness. That's what you mean to prophesy. The little book does not make you go and say, Thus hear the Lord. So it's not going to go and start talking, um, what I'm saying now, there's going to be trouble tomorrow. That's not what he's talking about. You go and prophesy to these people. Go and speak what I've given to you. Are you following that? Okay. So when we go back to Revelation 11 now, back to Revelation 11, he said, I'll get power and they shall prophesy. So what I'm saying is, it doesn't mean they have to predict the future. But here, they'll be able to go and reveal the truth as given to them by who? By God. Just like we find in Ephesians 3 verse 5, that the mystery of Christ is given to the apostle and the prophet. And there was Paul writing to the Gentiles and revealing to them the mystery that is contained in Christ. In other words, when God gave this to these two witnesses, as the case may be now, is that they will in some public manner hold up and maintain the truth before the world. They cannot stand before the world to project the truth to say, the truth cannot fall down. Praise the Lord. All right. Okay. I'm not going to be dealing with 1,200 days. I don't want to talk about that. But another thing is important here. It says, I don't want to deal with the days. You can find that in Daniel... It's, it's actually a period of persecution. For instance, Daniel uh, 7.25, you can read that if you want. Write it down. You can also find it in Revelation 11, verse 2. It's, uh, it's simply a period, a recording period for a day, a date for a year, and so on and so forth. I don't want to deal with that. Essentially here, I think I dealt with it in another study, which i also make you see. But let's look at this place. The next thing they said is three studies, and then the Bible said they closed that in sackcloth. Sackcloth was actually a coarse black cloth that commonly made of air used for sacks and for straining and for mourning garments. When you talk about sackcloth, you're talking about mourning, sorrow. In other words, their message was supposed to be carrying. The issue of repentance. Now, if, you understand what I'm talking about? Now, remember what happened to Daniel. Daniel 11, as the case may be. 10, 11. Remember when he has to read and find that he was supposed to go out to Babylon. What was the next thing he did? He went into fasting. Mourning. Fasting and praying. Are you getting that? So, sackcloth is a symbol of mourning. 
It means the message these people carry, well, they are not only mourning, but it's going to turn people onto what? Repentance. Hallelujah. Let me give you a simple illustration of this. When Elijah contested with the prophet of Baal, you know what happened, isn't it? The Bible made us to understand that the whole nation did what? Repented. That's the key thing. When truth comes, there's repentance. Now, you remember that the same thing happened in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. When Nehemiah sent out the scribes to read the law to the people, teach them whatever. You remember that? The Bible said they came to the point and they started mourning. They started weeping. They started crying. And they might have to begin to speak to them. And you don't need to cry. Today is the day of feasting because we we'll come to the place of understanding of who we're supposed to be. And that's why I say the joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't mourn today. You need to rejoice because you come to truth. So when truth comes, there is a place for repentance. So this double witness people, as the case may be, when true prophets and apostles begin to march upon the face of the earth and truth begin to come to the church, the church that have gone into the state of apostasy, they will begin to turn back to the Lord. Are you getting that? Praise the Lord. And then, let's look at verse 4. Something I want to do. These are the two witnesses on the candlestick before the face of the earth. Next one, verse 5. And if any man will hold them, fire proceed out of the mouth. Very good. I want to look at this. Why I'm dealing with this little thing is because we cannot take these two men to be literal people. Knowing, like we established last week, that the book is a symbolic book. Is that okay? So what fire proceeds out of their mouth? Now, if people are speaking, let us assume it is literal prophecy. And somebody is prophesying and fire is coming out of his mouth. Will you still stand there? Praise the Lord. So what does it mean for fire to proceed out of their mouths? Again, I want to make you understand that this is symbolic element. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 5, for instance, and verse 14. Jeremiah 5, verse 14. Praise the Lord. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because he speak this word, behold, God is speaking to Jeremiah. Is that okay? I will make my words in the mouth, what? Fire. And these people would, and it shall devour them. So, if you, if you go back to history, Jeremiah didn't perform a miracle of what we call signs and wonders. He was only speaking the truth God gave to him. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So to speak fire is to speak in such a dimension with power that will cause the people who are listening to you to turn away from their evil ways. In other words, the word that is coming forth from Jeremiah's mouth will consume the people and the people are likened to wood. Now you can understand that wood cannot stand fire. Is that okay? Jeremiah was always speaking the word, but remember he was a prophet. But he wasn't spitting fire from his mouth, 
but the word was so strong that they met the heart of the people and they will turn from their wicked ways. Hallelujah. So Jeremiah was the prophet who spoke God's word. That was the only fire that came out of his mouth. He tormented Judah. You know, he was speaking to Judah, right? With his spiritually sharp words, which his hearer could not bear. They couldn't stand it. That's why I say, I will make the people wood. So when he said, in the book of Revelation, fire will proceed out of their mouth when you try to hold them. Doesn't mean you want to touch them, the fire will just come and split from their mouth. It's not talking about that. Hallelujah. But their word will be so strong, their word will be so powerful that it will melt the people who want to hurt them. I can speak to you prophetically this day that there comes a time within the body of Christ that the words of the prophets, and I mean those who got the mystery of Christ and the apostle, will be so strong that the apostles in the church will not be able to stand it. Hallelujah. And I want to believe that the time is even now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it's important we, we, we are a little bit careful how we interpret the book of Revelation. What the Bible says in Revelation, again, 11, fire proceeded out of the mouth and they killed them. Killing them doesn't necessarily mean people are going to be dying. But remember, Jeremiah 5, 14, the people becomes wood. What will fire do to wood? It will consume them, meaning it kills them. But that is not that they are going to die out of the world. But their hardened heart, their stubborn heart, their rebellious heart will be melted by reason of truth. Amen? Hallelujah. What we are seeing today by the grace of God is truth prevailing. A brother in Cameroon I've just started a house fellowship. Then the mother donated the place to him and said, I think I can believe in what you are doing. Now people are coming to the seminars that he's holding. They had their whole first house fellowship. I think 14 people attended. First first house fellowship, 14 people attended. People are beginning to stream in and say, these guys got some truths. Amen? Listen, the truth remains that this corruption in the church, this falsehood in the church, will not be able to stand when God begins to release his apostles and prophets. They won't be able to stand. I told you of the comment that the editor, the guy that edited, one of the guys writing one of the newspapers, that edited that book that we are by publishing, is already in the press now. He called Maxwell and he said, I'm editing this book, but this book is going to cause re-revolution in the body of Christ. Dealing with John 14, my father's house. God willing, by next month, that book should be out. And just like it says, so shall it be. Because people's eyes shall be open to know that John 14 has nothing to do with Sunday upstairs. And by the time people begin to realize that, they will decamp from falsehood. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? So, when fire proceeds out of the mouth, it means truth is coming so sharply 
and nobody is going to be able to contend with that. So, I believe that the two witnesses, simply speaking of the miraculous power that will flow from Jesus through his church at, if I may use the language of the church, at this end time. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm talking about the truth of the gospel. Nothing to do with one physical Elijah or one physical, um, what do you call him? Amen? Nothing to do with that. But this has to do with the apostolic grace and the prophetic grace that carries the mysteries of Christ. And as they begin to go forth on the face of the earth, all those who were kind of marrying to idols, might use the word, marrying to religion, marrying to Babylon, they are going to turn around and begin to seek truth. A brother walked here, he attended this meeting for the first time, came to me in the office yesterday, and he said, I've made this place my church. I've been going to churches, but when I heard the word first time, I told my wife, this is where I want to worship. See, there is truth in this place. I'm telling you, all we need to do is to get this thing up in the air. Hallelujah. And ears are here and hearts shall be melted. And they will seek for the source of divine fountain of life. There is a fountain of life and there is a fountain of pollution. But I'm talking about God releasing his apostle and prophet at this time that we are in. Now the truth of God's word will go forth and the church will come back to what God intended to be. Hallelujah. This is a mystery of the two witnesses. Nothing to do with Elijah that's going to resurrect one day or anything to do with Moses that's going to come back from somewhere. Nothing to do with that. Absolutely. This is simply the miraculous power that God wants to release and the empowerment of God's word that when the word goes forth, the mystery of God is revealed and men shall know that of the truth, God is here. Hallelujah. For further information and message order, please call plus 234-803-4810869. Or you can visit our website at www.gkai.net. God bless you.